We've had um, a couple weeks off from our series, Take Heart, the Words of Jesus to the Wounded and Weary. Thank you. And we're back in the series. We've got two more, uh, three more teachings left. And uh, today's message is to the weary. And I don't know if there are any weary people here, but I want to talk a little bit about the different levels of weariness. Maybe you've experienced this, that there's different levels of, of weariness that we can experience as human beings. There's physical weariness, weariness of the body, where you just wear yourselves out. Some of you pay good money to get physically weary. Um, but there's other ways of being physically weary that, that we would pay lots of money to not have, and that's like chronic fatigue and staying up all night with a baby or a sick child um, or a disease or hard physical labor. Our bodies can get tired. But then there's mental weariness. You know what I'm talking about with mental weariness? Uh, John Stott calls this P-I-M, pain in the mind. You get so tired of thinking things through, problem solving, and uh, sort of like creative output. You get to the end of the day and your brain feels like mush. There's, there's mentally tired. There's emotional weariness as well. Emotional weariness where you're just, if you've ever been through the grieving process, you know that it just takes so much energy to, to feel all of the emotions that go with the grieving process. But you don't have to be in the grieving process to feel anger and sadness and fear and shame and have to like process all of that. It takes a lot of energy and you can get emotionally burned out. There's relational weariness. When there's tension in a relationship we care about, tension in relationships of people that we, we are working with. But let's not forget about Zoom fatigue because that's its own special category, Zoom fatigue. COVID weariness, weariness of the COVID. Um, we can be physically, mentally, emotionally weary, but what about soul weariness? What about weariness of the soul? This might be the deepest level of weariness we can experience. It goes all the way down to the pilot light of our hope and energy, what keeps us going. When we're so weary from all of the trials and and all of the hardships and everything that's taking energy from us, we can get wearied all the way down to the soul. It's the deepest level and maybe the most dangerous level of weariness that we could ever experience. Beware if the pilot light of the soul starts to flicker. One writer of The Spiritual Life notes this. She says, I have learned that there are at least two kinds of tired. One is what I call good tired. This is the kind of tiredness we experience after a job well done a task accomplished out of the best of who we are. If we are living in healthy rhythms of work and rest, this tiredness is a temporary condition. And when it comes, we know that after we take appropriate times of rest and recuperation, we will soon be back in the swing of things. That's what she calls uh, good tired. But she goes on, another kind of tiredness is more ominous. And this is dangerously tired. Dangerous tired is an atmospheric condition of the soul that is volatile and portends the risk of great destruction. It is a chronic inner fatigue accumulating over months and months, and we could add years. Dangerous tired is often marked by frenetic activity, compulsive 
overworking, escapist behaviors, and the inability to hear the quiet, sure voice of the one who calls us the beloved. How tired are we? Are we tired in the body? Tired in the emotions? Tired in relationships? Are we tired of the soul? How's the pilot light of your soul? Is it flickering? How deep does the exhaustion go for you, for me? This message this morning is for anyone who's tired at any level. Tired in body, tired in mind, tired in heart, tired in soul. This message is for the burned out. Your pilot light has, got, has snuffed out and you recognized everything I said from this writer about being dangerously tired. You've been through that whole thing. I want all of us, no matter what our level of exhaustion, to hear the voice of Jesus because there are some of the most wonderful words a human being has ever spoken before. Um, Jesus came for weary people. Jesus got weary so that he could give grace to weary people. He loves tired and, uh, and weary people. He loves people who, whose pilot light are, is going out or has gone out altogether. He sees what they've gone through. He knows what it's like. And his words are a balm to the soul. I want us to hear them together now. Let's, let's hear again the gospel reading with fresh, let the tired part of your soul hear Jesus now. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is kind, and my burden is light. Sometimes translated, my, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I want to highlight two invitations from Jesus in these words. First is an invitation to learn an open secret. And that's in the first two verses from his uh, conversation, first three verses with his prayer to his father. It's an invitation to learn an open secret. It's available to anybody. Um, but it's, it's a secret to a lot of people too. But the second invitation is also one that we can take up, and that is an invitation to take up an easy yoke. Let's look at the open secret first and that invitation. And, you know, Jesus is surrounded by a lot of people, including his disciples and people interested in his ministry. And he just sort of breaks open into prayer. But he's praying aloud. Everyone can hear what he's saying. And he thanks his father publicly that he's revealed these things to little children. Um, and we have to ask the question, what are these things that are revealed? In short, these things is this open secret of the good character of Jesus, who he is and what he's done for you. Um, he stands ready to love all of the exhausted people and anyone who has a great need in their life. He's good, 
and he is able to help you, and he's actually come to serve you. Um, It is his gracious will to reveal that to people. The Father wants you and me to know how good Jesus is and all of the amazing thing he's done on our behalf. No one knows the Son except the Father. The word here for know is a, like a type of knowledge that related to a family level knowledge. The Father knows the Son on a very deep level. Not just the facts about his life. The Father hasn't just read like the Wikipedia article about Jesus. Okay, the Father knows Jesus on a very intimate level. He knows his heartbeat. He knows his smell. He knows his, his tastes. He knows his heart. Here are things that the Father knows about his Son. He knows that Jesus is gentle and humble. The Father knows that, and he wants us to know that too. Jesus is kind and approachable. The Father knows that, and he wants us to know that too. Jesus gave up many privileges and comforts to live a human life. And it's, it's an open secret that many people never fathom. But the Father knows about that, and he wants us to know that too. Jesus died to remove the curse over our life and make us his own children. The Father knows that all too well. The Father paid his own price, his own cost, so that we could know that too. Jesus rose to life as the Lord over a new creation. He has immeasurable power, and he has stunning humility, and he combines those things in a way that no one else before or since has ever done before. The Father knows that, and he wants us to know that too. That's what these things are. The wise and understanding, quote unquote, like never need to know any of that because they don't need anything from Jesus, but the little children, those who know they have a need, where the Father is ready to graciously reveal everything good and true about Jesus to them. It's an open secret, the character of Jesus, his heart for us, his help for us, and it speaks right into our exhaustion. All those levels we talked about of the mind, of the body, of the soul, of the heart. One pastor connected the dots for me like this. Jesus died, so I don't have to blank anymore. And like, how would we fill in that blank? We usually fill in that blank with whatever is making us dangerously tired. Jesus died, so I don't have to secure my life through making lots of money anymore. Jesus died so I don't have to win the affections of a particular person or group of people anymore. Jesus died so I don't have to be the perfect student anymore, the perfect spouse anymore, the perfect parent anymore. Jesus died so I don't have to solve all of my problems without any help anymore. Jesus died so I don't have to prove to my critics that they were wrong all along anymore. Jesus died so I don't have to control the outcomes of this stressful situation anymore. And this pastor even recommends putting it into a breath prayer. Jesus died. We're just taking that reality in as we, as we take our breath in. And then we exhale so I don't have to carry this burden anymore. There's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the The open secret. Are you in Christ Jesus? 
If you are in Christ Jesus, you can be free of burnout. Are you in Christ Jesus? It's an important question. Do you know the Father of Jesus, the Lord over heaven and earth, whom you can call Abba? Do you know that he can also be your Father, your Abba, your Dad? Jesus says, hey, this is hidden from the wise and understanding, which is like if you're completely capable, if you have everything you need in life, if you're at perfect peace without any problems of the body or soul, you probably won't need to turn to God at all, right? Why would you? Russian author Leo Tolstoy wrote a novella called The Death of Ivan Ilyich. Ivan Ilyich is a, is a judge, a high-ranking judge in the Russian law courts. He's, uh, uh, quoting here, intelligent, polished, lively, and an agreeable man. And, and Ivan just sort of, sort of climbs the ladder of society through his subtlety and agreeableness and intelligence and uh, handsome good looks. He marries a beautiful woman and they have kids. He starts to make a lot of money, and, and he's like a renaissance man. He's like, I'm learning cars. I'm getting good at bridge. And then he starts to get into interior decorating, and he's like, you know, he's good at interior decorating. In fact, there's one time when he's uh, showing, he's in, he's in one of his, the favorite rooms of his house, his new house, and he knows how to make his house look like um, he's in a different class altogether of how much money he makes. He's like really good at interior decorating. And he's up on the ladder showing um, this interior decorator that they hired. Like, here's how I like the curtains to be hung. And he's like in the middle of like demonstrating this. And then he falls from the ladder and he hits his side. But, you know, he's like athletically built and he's in good shape. So he's like, it is nothing. Um, but this, this injury, this pain never goes away. And it starts to ebb away at his life. And he fell from the physical ladder really quickly, but from the social ladder, he has to watch himself climb one, climb down one rung at a time. He starts to slip like this in society because people can see that he's tired. And people can see that he's exhausted and they know he's losing his grip. And so they start to distance themselves from him. His wife distances herself from him. His kids, it's like he becomes grumpier. At some point, he's playing cards, and his friends are like, hey, you know, do you need our help? And he just realizes he can't even sit at the table to finish the game of bridge. He's so in pain and exhausted. Until finally, he's, he's just, he's in that room that he was decorating, you know, and, uh, and he's dying in that room. And the specialist can't help him, and, and, the, and the doctor visits don't help him, and he's, he's ebbing away. But while he's ebbing away, he realizes, I'm going to die. And that is when he becomes the most childlike he's ever been since he was a child. He begins to open himself up to grace. He begins to listen to um, what we would understand as the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to him about the meaning of life and the meaning of his life. And a priest comes and administers the sacrament to him, and he takes it. And there's a moment, there's a moment in his life right before he dies, where he can see his wife finally for who she is and has compassion for her and see his son for who he is. And he, can, he barely gets out like a, a croak of asking for forgiveness. And he's become like a little child because he fell from the ladder and he got exhausted. Before he dies, he sees the meaning of his life. He finally learns the open secret. 
You know, for many of us, personal exhaustion is our fall from the ladder. It's when we come to the limits of our energy, we can't keep going anymore. We're at the top of our game sometimes, in control, and then out of nowhere, we snap, we fall, and we can't keep going like we did before, no matter how hard we try. And that's the moment. That's the moment to learn the open secret. Jesus loves you. He lived and died to save you. He rose again to renew you. Turn to him. Ask him to forgive you. Show him your exhausted heart. Lift it up to the Lord. And ask him to show you his gentle heart, his lowly heart, his loving heart. He and the Father can set you free from slavery to overwork, to pleasing people, to living for yourself. He can restore your soul, and that is the open secret. That's an invitation for all of us to learn the open secret, whether for the first time or again for a fresh time. The open secret, Jesus loves you, and he's good. Here's a second invitation, and that is to receive an easy yoke. Let's receive an easy yoke together. Um, Jesus was looking upward in prayer, praying to his father. Then he, he stops his prayer. He looks at everyone around him. Here's what he says. Come to me. All who labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is kind, or my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is like Lady Wisdom here from the book of Proverbs, standing out on the open street, calling out to anyone who will hear, come to me, all who are exhausted and overworked, and, and I'll give you rest for free. You just got to receive it. There's uh, a couple different ways that we can get exhausted. One's like things that we're doing ourselves, and that's what Jesus talks about, all who labor. And we can do a number of different things. We can labor in a number of different ways. Things that we've done to exhaust ourselves or vows that we've made or choices that we've uh, taken on, attitudes that we've carried. It can be a self-inflicted you know, wound here. But also it could come from other people and their choices and their actions. And that's captured with Jesus' words, all who are heavy laden. What's been laid in on your shoulders? What yoke has been given to you? It could be the environment that we're immersed in or the rules and re regulations over our life, uh, whether it's in society or in a church or in a family or in a workplace. Or it could be choices made on our behalf. For the hearers, uh, first hearers of Jesus, it was the religious environment that the Old Testament law was applied in such a way that it was just like this yoke of legalism, like pressing down on them, like, 600 plus laws, you got to keep them all. Otherwise, Jesus or the Father won't love you and things won't go well for you. So in both cases, whether it's the labor or the heavy laden, it's the same invitation. Come to me, come to me, come to me, and I will give you rest. Not just for the body, not just for the mind, not just for the emotions, but rest for your souls. Rest for your souls, that deepest level rest, that pilot light of hope. So what are ways that we can receive this rest for the soul? It's by receiving Jesus's easy yoke. He says in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So he's, he's inviting us to a learning posture. Take a yoke 
my yoke upon you and then learn from me. Why? Because I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And in doing so, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is kind and my burden is light. In the ancient world, yokes were a mechanism laid on the shoulders. It could be on human shoulders, be on the shoulders of an oxen. And it was how work got done. And so um, young and experienced oxen would be combined with an older experienced oxen, and they would be yoked together. And the older experienced ox would set the pace for the young inexperienced one. What would happen if you just put two young inexperienced ox together, they would wear themselves out. They would injure themselves in uh, straining really hard to plow the field as quickly as possible. And so what happens when you place an experienced with an inexperienced is that the experienced one sets the pace so that the field gets plowed, but uh, there's no injury in the process. So an easy yoke of Jesus is is a way for us to learn how to rest and how to work. How does he do it? It's the cycle that he's in of praying and resting and working. Um, We uh, enter into the life of Jesus, and he teaches us, hey, yes, work is required of you. That's part of our worship of the Lord. But also rest, pausing, disengaging, that is also important. There's no way for us to get rested from someone who's exhausted. We can't come to an exhausted person saying, teach me how to rest. Jesus, though he's the savior of the world, was a well-rested savior, a well-rested king, and he still is. He had margin. If you read the Gospels, you'll see that people interrupted Jesus all the time, and he had time for them. He had time for people who had nothing to offer him, to interrupt him, to ask for help, and he didn't shoo them away. Uh, And um, so this is great paradox where Jesus is the king of heaven, and the savior of the world, and yet he's well-rested, and he doesn't snap with annoyance at interruptions. As Dane Ortland says, Jesus doesn't say he's austere and demanding in heart, or exalted and dignified in heart, or even joyful and generous in heart. Jesus says that he is gentle and lowly in heart. That means that he's sympathetic, he's accessible, he's approachable, he's accommodating, He's willing, he's understanding, he's childlike, he's humble. Jesus treats us gently. He treats us more gently than any human being has ever treated us, including ourselves. When we come under the yoke of Jesus, it's like a non-yoke. We can feel the gentleness in it. He creates an environment for us that is gentle and kind, and when we come into that environment, our souls can find deep rest. Would you like this rest? Would you like this yoke? Um, One way that we can receive the easy yoke of Jesus is the way that we receive our day. The way that we receive each 24-hour period in front of us, how do we relate with the day? That is a really important question for those who want to learn the easy yoke of Jesus. Here's the temptation in our culture, and that is to experience the day as a race to win a race to win or a race to lose. Have you ever experienced the day like a race? It begins with the, um, the air horn of our alarm. And it's like, you're already behind. Because you've got a lot of things you want to do today. You've got important projects on your mind. You've got phone calls to make. 
You've got things to, to do. And so you rise early with high hopes and a long to-do list and that sense of pressure. But the thing is, you're already behind because there's a line for the bathroom. And there's no, not a whole lot of time to eat a decent breakfast. And the bus is running late or there's too much traffic on the Kennedy. And so you're like, I'm gonna open my phone and get some work done there. But then like the deluge of requests come in on email and one of them is an urgent request, all caps. Right? And your blood pressure rises and then ding, ding, ding. The family text chain starts chiming in about like, have you made Thanksgiving plans? We need you to weigh in on some decisions. And so for the rest of the day, it's just like shoulder to the wheel. It's like meetings, phone calls, work, and scattered things here and there, getting yourself to practice, getting your kids to practice, food prep, chores, bedtime routines. And all the while you're competing, competing, competing with time. It's, a, it's like a race. And, and the hourglass is just like going, the sand is piling up. The sand keeps piling up, but you can't keep up with the hourglass. You can't keep up with the race. And so sometime after dinner, you collapse in exhaustion and you have, your brain is mush and your body's mush and your to-do list is 36% done and 64% undone. And all you can do is veg out and feel discouraged. And by the way, you didn't do your quiet time. You know, it's like, oh. How many days have we had? I've had so many days like that. That a day is like a race to win or a race to lose. And there's no rest there. Like the minutes and the seconds, if you think about it, they will always continue to accumulate, always. They never stop, the seconds never stop. The hourglass never stops. But you and I, that's not how God created us. He created time differently than he created us. He created us to rest. So if we're always racing against the day, we will eventually collapse in exhaustion. Jesus died, so I don't have to experience the day as a race to win. Now I can experience the day as a rhythm to learn. A rhythm to learn. You know, if you read the first chapter of Genesis, you see time as a rhythm. There was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening and there was morning the second day. And on and on through the seventh day where God rests. So it's more of a rhythm. Time is more of a rhythm than a race. And a key part of that rhythm is that evening precedes the morning. Um, it's like the slow inhale, exhale of a deep breath. There was evening and there was morning. And so if we want to get into the easy yoke of Jesus, we can begin our days at night. Have you ever tried this before? That instead of our day beginning with the alarm clock, our day begins actually with the setting of the sun. That's our cue. That's the pilot light of our day. Our day begins with the setting of the sun. Why? Because our day then can begin with grace. Now, some of us work at night, and also the sun goes down at dramatically different hours throughout the year. But we can, we can learn this rhythm by beginning our days with rest. You could even add to this light, the lighting of a candle and add in the, uh, the um, Anglican Book of Common Prayer prayer. It's a 1,500-year-old prayer, O Gracious Light, also known as O Gladsome Light, pure brightness of the ever-living Father in heaven, O Jesus Christ, holy and blessed. Now as we come to the setting of the sun, and our eyes behold the vesper light. We sing your praises, O God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
You're worthy at all times to be praised by happy voices, O Son of God, O giver of life, and to be glorified through all the world. We can light a candle and pray that prayer and just begin our days with grace. Because uh, when we go to bed knowing that God is working, we can just let him work. We can let him begin the day with his work. Um, Eugene Peterson describes how this works in the grooves of God's grace. He says, we go to sleep and God begins his work. We wake and are called to participate in God's creative action. We respond in faith, in work, but grace is always previous. Grace is primary. We wake into a world we didn't make. We wake into a salvation we didn't learn. It didn't earn. In the evening, God begins, without our help, his creative day. In the morning, God calls us to share and enjoy and develop the work that he initiated. Isn't that a beautiful picture? So, um, what this does is that if we can learn this rhythm, we can more easily step into what we call around here the daily office, which is called, it's fixed our prayer. Maybe it only begins with a simple prayer at night with a psalm or lighting of a candle. Um, but for those of you who are ready for another step, maybe you step into the fixed hour prayer where morning and noonday, you just stop and pause. Maybe you pray a psalm or take a few moments of silence before God to remember, to remember the easy yoke of Jesus. Remember, you don't have to earn the day. You don't have to win the day. That the Lord is working in your life. That Jesus is teaching you how to plow the field at his pace and in his time. But if you're just getting started, just try beginning the day with the setting of the sun and let God give you his rest. All of us are invited to receive this easy yoke of Jesus. All of us are invited to learn the open secret about who Jesus is his grace, his love. These words from Jesus are so life-giving. I want you to hear them again, taking them in as deep as you can. And here I want to use the, the, the paraphrase that Eugene Peterson penned. Um, just read this over to you as a prayer. Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. The Father has given me all these things to do and to say. This is a unique father-son operation coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does, but I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Are you tired? Worn out, burned out on religion, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The invitation stands. Come to Jesus and find rest. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to receive this invitation as deeply as we can, as deeply as we dare. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the great rest promised in the kingdom of God. And I pray, Lord, that we would taste and see that your salvation is so good. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you now to stand as we confess our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed.